Well, howdy! Welcome to Further Every Day, the podcast where we discuss the current events through the Christian worldview. But here's the catch. Each one of us is doing so from a specific slice of the Christian apologetic. Uh, I'm John Arthur Fiala, your host, and to my right, I've got Josh. How are you today, Josh? I'm doing really good, John Arthur. How about yourself, good sir? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Moving on the room to his right, we have Mrs. Pomeroy. How are you today, Miss Nikki? Good morning. I'm doing well. How about you? Doing all right. Which chair will you be sitting in? The chair of theology. Excellent. Talking about the basis for what we believe, going to sola scriptura. Very good. And to her right, we have Mr. Charlie. How are good you? Good morning. I'm doing fine, John Arthur. Thank you. Glad to have you back. And which chair are you sitting in? Uh, we are going to be doing the chair of culture today. Excellent. Talking about the Christian counterculture that should be created to match what the world brings. Absolutely. And to his right, we have Jennifer. How are you? I'm doing well, and I'll be sitting in the chair of philosophy. Excellent. Excellent. So with that said, uh, like I said before, I'm John Arthur, and I will be sitting in the chair of politics. The political nature of the Christian belief what does politics have for us and what uh how much does that play in so with that said today we're going to be talking about uh basically we're really focusing in on one story for the first part of this it might be the whole thing because uh, it's an interesting issue but before we do i have to lay out a couple of things we're going to be talking about a christian evangelist who was stabbed while sharing the gospel in france was it britain I, okay, for some reason, Charlie, Charlie Hebdo is in France. I thought he was in, I thought we were talking about, thank you. Thank you for correcting me. I stand corrected. So with that said, uh, what we're looking at here is, first off, she was wearing a Charlie Hebdo t-shirt, and that was the thing that supposedly set off the fireworks. Let's look at who Charlie Hebdo is, then let's look at this uh, Christian evangelist, and then we'll look and see what kind of value added mockery has or, or, or satire has for evangelism. So to start off, who is Charlie Hebdo? For those who don't know, uh, this is a, an article from the BBC, Charlie Hebdo and its place in French journalism. So uh, the French satirical uh, magazine Charlie Hebdo has been attacked uh, over and over by Muslims, but in this case, it's been attacked by gunmen. This is a uh, 2015 January 8th article. Uh, it was the uh, it is the worst attack on the, on a magazine which has been hit by violence before. Uh, I'm, I'm skipping down here. The magazine's offices were firebombed in November 2011 when it was published. Oh, but it published a cartoon of Muhammad under the title uh, Sharia Hebdo. Um, one of the latest tweets on Charlie Hebdo's feed was a cartoon of an Islamic State uh, militant group leader Abu Bakr al Baghdadi. Um, I, I fact check me, I believe, since he is deceased. But um, the editor, uh, Stéphane Chabonnier, I probably butchered that, had been under police protection, having received death threats. He was one of the, he and three other cartoonists were among those killed by gunmen in the massacre on Wednesday. I'm going to scroll down to where we get to the um, actual. Actually, that's going to be on, a, on on the next story. There's another one that specifically deals with the three-day attack. This is a Charlie Hebdo attack, three days of terror from BBC. Um, 
what what we see is I'm going to scroll down right to the actual attack. They come in, they strong arm the people in the building. Uh, one of the magazine's cartoonists, Cor uh, Corinne Ray, described how she had just returned to the building after picking up her daughter from daycare when the gunman threatened her, forcing her to enter, um, forcing her to enter the building, and uh, for forcing her to enter the keypad entry into the newsroom on the second floor. The men opened fire and killed the editor's police guard. It, it goes on to the point where we, we have three journalists dead. And if you look at these political cartoons, uh, political cartoons by nature are <clears throat> offensive. By nature. They're, they're satire. But I, I would say that these are not any more offensive. They're, they're less. The ones that I've seen are just as offensive or less offensive than anything that I've seen in the States. But would so, you consider that to be political or religious? Yes. Yes. It's both because the two are inextricably intertwined. Yeah, and and that, I think that's a that's an important point because when we, especially for today, when we're dealing with the issue of political free speech, it is starting to be attacked and uh, many people are trying to shut it down. When it comes to the religious free speech, that's next. That that's coming next. So, I think in in this particular realm, um, political might be the right first word for this phrase. But uh, I I think what it ultimately leads to and why she was stabbed was the attempt to shut her up from a religious perspective. Because she was wearing this political cartoon. But the thing is, yep. is Islam is a political movement as much as it is a religious movement. Um, so her name was Hatuntash. She was at uh, Speaker's Corner in London, which is a very prominent free speech area. She goes there often. That's her sort of area where she likes to go to evangelize to Muslims. She was actually a Muslim from Turkey who cr converted to Christianity. So she goes there often and has been, this is not the first time she's been physically assaulted. Um, but what happened was she was not even the, the current speaker. There was another conversation going on with one of her associates as the main focus. And she was off in the back having a, a private conversation when somebody else wearing a hoodie came up and slashed at her face, body. Um, she was stabbed in the arm and cut on the face. Um, the video is, you can find it um, on the internet. It is a, a little bit graphic. There, there is blood that drips down her face. She does pass out, probably from the adrenaline, and then was uh, treated on site and later taken to the hospital, had some stitches, relatively minor in terms of injuries, but the implication is what's important. So, um, and this, this, this stabber has not been found yet. And Miss um, Tosh... Uh, was very vocal about her indictment against the police. She's uh, saying that this uh, that this person did it in front of a police. You, you, when you watch the video, as soon as she's stabbed, there's a police car sitting 20 feet away, turns on his lights, drives back, the guy's already gone, and they don't catch him. And she says, um, this is a, a quote from Tosh, Police inaction has led to what happened to me yesterday. This is from a Newsweek article, by the way. Um, in the past, they have seen it as easier to remove me than to deal with people intimidating and threatening me. 
My attacker was not even afraid of the police as he did it right in front of them. It is, a heartbreak it is heartbreaking that we live in a society where police do not want to arrest a Muslim for fear of being called Islamophobic. I think that's a really interesting angle as well as the, um, the reason she was wearing the Charlie Hebdo t-shirt is she uses that as a springboard when she's talking to them. She says, should I be killed for this? And, and tries to get them to, to say what is taught in Islam, which is, you know, most people try to say that that's an extremist version, but she really confronts them with it as that's what Islam teaches. So that's kind of the background of the, of the stabbing. So with that said, that, that's a long table setting that, that we just did. It's 10 minutes of setting up the table. But moving around the room, we want to, look at this as is it a good first off i i th think we can all agree that stabbing someone in the face for for preaching is is wrong you know that someone should be able to say just about whatever My, maybe minus vulgarity there's an argument for that but should christian evangelists use satire and what is the limit that's something that i think we need to look at but moving around the room, I'm going to move to the right to, oh, okay, I'm getting a pass. I'm going to move to the chair of theology, uh, Miss Nikki. What would be some theological uh, arguments for and against using satire well, for evangelism? When you go back and you look at Paul, Paul was an apologist. He went to different places to it was very very respectful of uh, the people of the those in charge um paul did not mock uh he understood the circumstances at at that time and it was appropriate what it was um i'm not saying that she's wrong it's not something that i would do i believe that showing respect to other people and to what they believe even though they may be wrong in their belief, the respect, I think, gets you farther than being um, offensive. So let me push back for a moment sure. and, and actually use one of, one of her arguments. One of the, this evangelist's argument is you look at, and, and I've heard other people, I'll, I'll say Kent Hovind and a bunch of other folks have said, you look at the way um, Elijah dealt with the prophets of Baal. How... Do, you, do we contextualize that with evangelism? That, that was a strong and, mocking. And the way Jesus spoke to the Pharisees. That's another argument that I've, I've heard. Same yeah, line. But when, when they were mocking the prophets of Baal, God was about ready to show himself mighty right there in front of everybody. There was a, there, there was a setup there. Now, what happened to Elijah after that happened? He ran. He ran for his life. Now, why did he? Why was he afraid? Should he have been afraid? God just proved himself mightier than the prophets of, than than Baal himself. So that I, I I'm not saying that she's wrong. I'm saying in my personal opinion, showing respect will get you farther than not showing respect. Also, you have to understand that in the Muslim world, there is no separation between their religious beliefs and their political beliefs. Whereas a Christian, we vote according to our biblical principles. 
We want laws according to our biblical principles, but we don't force you to become a Christian. We just want the biblical principles because they provide society with a very um, successful and appropriate appropriate lifestyle for everybody. What I might mean by that is a um, society that can be um, family-oriented. It, pro- it, it provides a good environment. Yes. Well, if you're running along the grain of the universe, God did not make stupid rules. You have a moral imperative to follow those rules, but not all those rules are morally imperative. God put a lot of things out there for us to say, look, this is just how the world works. There's a pragmatic aspect to following the Bible. And and again, Christians should never follow the scripture out of pragmatism. It should be out of a devotion and worship of our Lord and Savior. However, there is a pragmatic view, and that's why a lot of atheists share Christian views. You can be a more, quote-unquote, more or less moral person by the world's standards and not be a Christian, but you're just walking that, that grain of the universe. But back, moving back to the topic, that's a powerful word, Miss Nikki, and I want to move over to Mr. Charlie. From a uh, cultural perspective, from from a cultural perspective, oh, Josh. I, I sorry, I'm I'm sorry. I was trying to pull up a passage. I wanted to Go speak to that idea, the theological point, Go for the it. theological chair, before we moved on to the culture. I think James. I know, surprise, but right. James offers a James three thirteen through eighteen. I think offers us. A good look at what is earthly wisdom and what is the wisdom that comes from God and I think that will help us give up the means from which we could evangelize and also the means from which we're supposed to approach other people and so I would like to read that who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you let him show it out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom but if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts glory not and lie not against the truth The wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Amen. And so... That, to me, gives us a very clear... And it's not to say that we should not be upfront. The thing is, the gospel, it's very confrontational. By it's nature. very confrontational by nature. You look at the way that people were corrected. The people that were corrected in the faith. I'm talking about the people who were in the faith. Those people were corrected. Those people were corrected harshly. And there, but it was for a good reason. Is because God knows and God knew the dangers that laid in those traps. He saw what they led to. And so you see Paul correcting Peter, saying, what are you doing? What Absolutely. Are you doing? And let me just say, um, in defense of, of Miss Hatun Tosh, she wasn't, ju- she wasn't there to show the Charlie Hebdo t-shirt. She was there preaching the gospel. 
the video is actually very powerful. She passes out after being stabbed, stands up, and immediately starts telling them how they need Jesus, like she, giving them the gospel. That's why she's there. She, you know, she's she's not there for the purpose to mock. She, I, th I think that she does use the mockery appropriately. I think her focus is still the gospel. But when when she meets with these um, Muslims who are very hard-hearted in their in their in the way that they confront people, you have people, to get the in before you can use the satire. That, is that's what, is what that's, I would. Well, I would say they use the satire to to, to get the that in. That is the in, but yeah. it, but but, but you're of. risking something. Yeah, I don't know if I'm necessarily against that form of evangelism. I, I don't think I am against that form of evangelism per se. It's super but, but, risky but, with this people group, though. But not even just risky. It's, I think, a way more effective form of evangelism would be to look at the how Jesus called his disciples forward and called his followers forward, and he showed them the way to live it. He showed them what this whole entire thing was about, and showed him who showed who he was. And as a as Christians, as as these people who who have God within them. God is supposed to show them because we're supposed to live that out and we're supposed to show them. So I think that's probably a more effective and totally agree. But just, and, and listen, I'm not a huge expert, but from what I've seen in just looking this up now, the one thing about Islam that makes it so difficult to give them the gospel is how they twist who Jesus Christ is. And when you just present them with the gospel, they have all the answers ready to rattle off. He wasn't actually crucified. He never claimed to be the son of God. He's not the real deed. Show me where it says that in the Bible. And it's really difficult to get them to sit down and listen to who Jesus actually is. And actually getting onto that point of G just specifically, you said you did pose one question that I thought was interesting. Jesus being the son of God, not saying he didn't say that. He actually did say that. But and, you have to but you have to read their holy scriptures to see that they yeah. the Quran and the and the hadiths actually actively deny that. So and that's and and, and that's the problem. And that's and, and so it's a struggle Nabil Qureshi had. And, and so and so that's and and we can we can dig in. We we we're, we're we're kind of veering off course, but that's fine. We we can we can dig in and talk about this. Um I, I do want to get uh, the the philosophy chair's opinion in just a moment, um, or the the the, the cult, culture, culture chairs, excuse me, uh, chairs' uh, opinion in just a moment. But love is probably the best. It, that's the single thing that most Muslims who are converts to Christian they say the love of God, the love of the church, is what changed my mind. And I think that that is applicable for the majority of Muslims. I think the active Muslim evangelists, for lack of a better word, are the ones who need to be pushed back against a little bit. And and I'll leave it at that for now. But for the culture chair, I'm really interested on what you think of her statement about the Islamophobia. I'd, I'd so, like to hear well, you on that too. Yes, and I want to set the table with that. First off, culture, can we have a multi cultural society that's something that i want to pose to you and i also want to pose it to the economic chair in a little bit but in a different way can we have a multicultural society a true multicultural not a culture tolerant society where one primary 
primary homogenous culture tolerates other cultures living within their borders, but a truly multicultural, where, and, and let me define that, multiple cultures all accepting each other 100% in being able to live in peace and harmony within one country's borders. Is that possible? And how does the Christian work with multiculturalism? Because we're seeing that experiment in France and Britain right now. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's, that's probably, probably the, the best question that you could ask in this type of topic. My answer would be only if there is no other cultural um, establishment that dictates the issue of death. So, i.e., Muslims, they are very clear in the Quran. You, you kill the infidel. You mock the, prom the prophet, yep. peace be upon him. You, you die. Killed. So, to answer your question, if you have anything like that, absolutely not. What we talked about earlier, I think, is also really important. Scripture, the Bible, in and of itself, is divisive. You walk Jesus into a room of people, and he will divide the room. He will split it like the Grand Canyon. And it's because you're not going to be able to hijack the name of Christ. You are not going to be able to ride the fence for the name of Christ. You either are or are not. And that is the way that Jesus is and always has been. That's not been an issue. I think culturally for Christians, and I think Nikki really started that off really well from the perspective of the, the way to really get in is to hear, to listen. Uh, when we did our study on apologetics uh, a few years ago, I remember one of the first points that was made, you need to learn to listen to your, and I'm going to use the word opponent in this situation. Amen. You need to listen to them. Give them that respect. Nabil Qureshi went through a very, he went from a person who is unbelievably confident in Muslim belief and then went to a point where he wasn't sure what he was walking on. And it was all because some of these things that we have talked about, he was being questioned on, and he could not come back and answer those questions. So culturally, Christians need to understand where they're at. And their culture. Like the, yes. when you say where they're at, let me, let me, if I may, define that as... What are the cultural peccadillos and problems you're going to run into with those people? And could I build to the point that original question you asked in relation to culture? Can there be this, homogen this homogenous thing of, of these cultures and it just all coexist peacefully you know, in a way? I would say it is impossible for it to exist peaceably. Because the whole concept that God is, that God puts forth in Scripture about about the whole thing with election, for example, is the fact that not everyone is going to come to a saving faith, a, a, a faith that that believes, that trusts in Christ. Therefore, there are going to be people who subscribe to the world and its beliefs, 
and put their trust in the world and therefore it is going to be impossible to achieve a true peace across the thing and so what ends up happening is you have god speaking in scripture saying i am in opposition to the world you cannot be a friend of the world and be a, be a part of me that is impossible they cannot co they cannot be a part you cannot mix with one another you either submit fully to god or you submit fully to the world and the fact is is that there's going to be people who subscribe to the world and there's going to be people who submit to god and so it is impossible for something like that let me let me add some here because when you were talking earlier about the police were too fearful to move forward the object of government is to promote good and to punish evil <clears throat> You don't have to be a Christian to think that lying, cheating, and stealing are wrong. Those are things in a society that non-Christians and Christians can agree on and build your laws upon. When you're in a society where your religion and your politics are not separated, you are going to promote your religion through politics, and you are going to use violence against those who disagree. You're going to end up like... France, who is afraid of the Muslim community to punish, who will stand back. And this has been a problem in France for many, many years. Is All that, of Europe, really. <clears throat> yes, the Muslim culture is creeping into the politics and into the environment where a man has a right to promote a uh, political cartoon. He's freedom of speech. We believe in that. However, that is not how they look at it. So those two cultures are going to clash, and that's where we're we're coming to. It's not it, it's not even oil and water. It's sodium and water. It's an explosive combination. And when you give, so I, I love, and I quote Andrew Clavin on this often: when you give the devil the power of the truth, created a problem for yourself. And what he means by that is the white identitarian movement in Europe has picked up this huge amount of steam and it's ugly and it's evil and I and I don't and I don't align with that. But what they're seeing is Muslims of one color coming in and not being punished or doing and there's a minority of Muslims that are acting this way. However, the fact that they're not punished breeds this racism. And, 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 and I'm, I'm going to be careful. White identitarians, not all of them are, are necessarily racist per se, but I would never, ever, ever, ever associate myself with that movement. Uh, but I want to I push in on the chair of culture before we move over to the chair of philosophy. I want to push in on Jennifer's question. Uh, Culturally, what does that create when the police are too afraid to arrest a specific minority or, or majority group? Mass chaos. It, it'll be what it ends up coming to is survival of the fittest, survival of the strongest. Yes. Let me, let me say it that way. The other thing I want to bring up too is the term Islamophobic. You know, it's quite interesting that you do not hear anybody using the term, so you're Christophobic. I've never heard anyone use that. And I, I'm not, <clears throat> look, I'm not saying we all 
go out there and start using that today. I'm not advocating that. But what I am saying is that it's very interesting that many people are accused of being transphobic. They're Islamophobic. They're thisphobic. They're thatphobic. And yet, when you look at some of the things that, that we've talked about today and how to draw people in, I think Nikki's point about how Paul did things is well stated. And that is really, I think, from a cultural standpoint, a Christian cultural standpoint, we would do ourselves well to educate ourselves on truly the right tenets and doctrines of the Christian faith and learn how to, how to advocate those, how to use those in arguments. We spend a lot of time shining the chairs in the pews in our churches. If we would spend more time shining and, and honing our minds and our hearts, I think we would be a lot further with this. Wow. It, how can the Christian change the culture if the Christian isn't changed? And if they're not outreaching to the culture after that and making disciples. It says make disciples. It does not say make converts. Amen. That's part of our church culture. Moving over to the chair of philosophy. Yeah, so, so you brought up Nabil Qureshi, and that's a really interesting point going back to the idea of mockery. The man who was his roommate who converted Nabil Qureshi, his name is David, David Wood. Wood. Mm -hmm. He is wildly mocking of Islam. He has desecrated, eaten pages out of the Quran, drawn cartoons. He has a, a series where he makes origami out of the page. Just, just very irreverent. And he got Nabil Qureshi, a devout Muslim, saved. That, and he still works. I would, I would yeah. say this, that Nabil Qureshi was, was saved irregard of what that man did. It was well, sure. God's... So, so the story behind it's it was, always. you know, he, he didn't use mockery in that, in, in saving Nabil Qureshi, which may be an indictment against it. Um, from what I remember of the video, he, he basically just started asking him questions about Jesus and to go look into who Jesus is. And Nabil found that the story he had been told about Jesus um, from Islam was not true. And in looking into who Jesus really was, that's what got him saved. So to your point, you know, that may be the, the proper avenue, and he may be going too far mocking. I think he, he probably does go a little far, in my personal opinion. But anyway, interesting. So, so and that leads me to an interesting question. The chair of philosophy, when you're looking at the purpose and you're looking at the design of your evangelical tack, my question is, where do you think, because we, we see Christ using satire when dealing with Pharisees. What, what I never see is Christ using satire with individuals. Yeah. So what do you think that line is philosophically when you're dealing with, with a non-believer versus, say, a religious leader, someone who's a figurehead? What do you think the line is? It, where do we draw that? in our purpose in, in sure. evangelizing. Yeah, I, th I think in, in this um, topic, Islam specifically, I think for me, I would draw a line at, I think it's appropriate to mock Muhammad himself and Muhammad's teachings, not Muslims. 
I th and and I, that may be a very fine line to tread. And, you know, that's a... And you might be in the right and still get stabbed in the face. The fact is, yeah. you get your head chopped off for being a Christian in a lot of these countries. So let's just be clear. We're, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't hold this woman in contempt at all. No, no, not at all. I, I, I have some sympathy for their approach. Personally, mm -hmm. I would line up more with Miss Nikki. That is not how I would approach it. Um, but I will say this too. When you're talking about David Wood, when you're talking about <clears throat> Hatoon, you're talking about two people, and one especially, that totally understands Muslim culture. Yes. They, they get it. They know what the trigger points are. They're not ignorant to that. And I don't know, I, I would not go the way that she's going. However, I'm not sure that I'm ready to condemn her for what she's doing either because she understands what will get under the skin of somebody a Muslim, and what will trigger them to think. That there, it's just like a person ministering in prison. The mm -hmm. best person that can minister in prison is a former inmate. Yes, and so God makes, the, the surgeon has bone saws and scalpels. Yeah. And the question is, is when to use which? Yep. So reposing the question, where do you think the line lies, Jennifer? You know, to be honest, that's something that I'm still kind of working out in my own mind. I I do have I don't condemn her. I do have sympathy for that approach. Um, the one thing though that I would say that is is a little bit holding me back from throwing my full kind of support behind this would would be that I just have this thought in the back of my mind. From, uh, I think Josh has said it before. I, I think he got it from Vody Bakum that you know the gospel is offensive enough. We don't necessarily have to help God that much. That's that's kind of where I'm lining up personally. But but again, I I, I do not ab absolutely do not condemn her for her how she's chosen to go about this. But I I think for me, I'm gonna try to stick more about what Josh was saying. Being more winsome. Yes, trying to win them, and, and and that's and that's really where 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 I draw, if if I may, that's where I kind of draw the line. Is am I trying to win someone or destroy someone? If I'm trying to destroy someone, I will take the sat satirical approach. I will be bold. I will be brash. If there's someone out there who's calling for the in, calling for the destruction of Israel, and they are a political figure. I have no problem mocking that person within a certain line, as long as I am not sinning. And that's an interesting conversation all on its own. As long as I'm not being sinful or absolutely mean-spirited or evil about it, I don't have a problem with going after figureheads. Because you have to show them, like Eli I like what Elijah did. He said, where's your God? Is he on the pot? Is he, is he gone on a fishing trip? Where is your God? He was showing he, there were thousands or even millions of Israelites watching this. So Elijah was using the bone saw, and that was the tool in that moment. Oh, I think God is all about making, a, making people aware of the, the heretics of the day. 
Yes. And, and because because it's not really about necessarily the actual heretic themselves. What it's about is what that heretic is preaching. And so by making you aware that, hey, that person over there, that person, yes, we're all bad. But it's not necessarily about the person. It's about that person over there is going to lead you astray. Don't go near that person. Uh, stay away from that person. It, there's a time to publicly mm -hmm. reprimand where I where I draw the line. It, like I would wear, I would be okay with wearing a Charlie Heb, Hebdo shirt. I wouldn't do it, but I'd be fine with evangelists wearing a Charlie Hebdo shirt to a debate with with a Muslim who is who is active. Someone who said, "Yeah, Charlie Hebdo, that murder, massacre was great at their at their satire news site. That was great." Someone who comes out and says that, if some if an evangelist comes to a debate with that person wearing a Charlie Hebdo shirt and he's saying, this cartoon should get me killed, wearing this shirt should get me killed, I understand that. Not my style, I understand it. Uh, and as an in, it's an interesting in when you're in a free speech corner. It's an interesting in. I'm not sure if it's the, 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 the way in. No... Josh is flagging me. He's got a, a verse he wants to read. Oh, I was just thinking if we wanted to get to the economics. Yeah, we're, 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 we're going to. We're, right. we're coming around to the politics, and then we'll get gotcha. to the economics. And I, I've, got, I've got a question for you, and I'll, I'll, I'll pose it so you can think about it. What does multiculturalism do economically? And, then, and, and I'm sure you have other thoughts, too. But um, what does multiculturalism do economically? But real quick, I, we're going around the table here. The chair of politics. You have to remember that Islam is a political movement. My friends and even some of my family uh, who are Muslim see. Um, oh my goodness! I'm 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 having a an aneurysm. What's the what, Sharia law? Not Sharia. What's the name of the of the the pursuit of of Islamic dominance. There's a there's a name. I'm, I'm I'm having an aneurysm, but they believe that their everyday walk is to conquer the culture. the The Muslims that friends and family that I have, they believe that their uh, their 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 journey and their struggle is to conquer the culture. Now, if you someone had a had a graph, and and I, I probably shouldn't say this without a reference, but they, they had a graph based on per population percentage. You could see all the countries with this population percentage as the population of Islam grows. Um, there's a change in the culture, and it goes from more docile, kind-hearted to more radical. Uh, and it, it's sort of an exercise in groupthink, or may, you know, I, I don't think it's conspiracy. It's an issue of groupthink. But pol politically, you cannot have a. You mentioned Sharia law. You cannot have a group of individuals within one nation that wishes to run by a different set of death penalty standards. Cannot work. Yeah, I would say from the chair of philosophy about multiculturalism, my thoughts on, on that would be, I would, I would even think that culture is not even the right word. I, I don't have any problem with you celebrating your culture, your heritage, but the values that we share as a society have to be compatible. And I think the values underlying Islam are not compatible with anything other than Islam. And we, 
need to say that, you know, when people used to migrate to a country, they were migrating to a new culture. And we have come to a point now where we are allowing you to bring in your culture into our country, which, you know, I can respect a lot of things, but when your culture starts to change our culture and our foundation, then we need to speak up. I would actually like to correct. I think that the cultural stuff is fine. I think it's that when the false teachings of a culture, it, well, it's well, I can make the case that America has had false teachings for a long time as well, sure. and and so I can't really say that we're too much better than any other culture per se. I don't necessarily have a problem with when a culture comes in. I think it's that when the culture that's coming in is trying to dominate with a specifically with a yes. with a incorrect yes. viewing of the gospel. Well, not just the gospel, but let's say when you come into our country, then you can't come in here, bring your flag, and bring, you know, uh, I'm not changing my language. Most people who come here adapt to our culture. I think there are some things that you can hang on to that are, that are, are very good, but, you know, you have to be careful what... You know, I have a coworker who's from uh, China and, and loves to celebrate the Chinese New Year. And we all think that's wonderful. There's no problem with that. I don't have a problem. That doesn't, that doesn't affect anybody else. That's her personal thing. But if she was determined, I'm going to speak Chinese and you all are going to have to deal with that, that might be a problem. It, it, and, and, it, and here's the thing. We've, we've gone out to overextend and accept people who put demands like that on rest of us and the word i was looking for earlier was jihad if someone's goal and i'm sorry i'm just running slow this morning um if someone's goal is jihad and that's an interesting definition like i said it kind of changes with the group thing based on the density of the population jihad is initially a culture war issue as that culture war progresses it becomes a political issue after it becomes a political issue, it becomes an issue of religious dominance. I, I well, even to get back to Nikki's point, I don't even necessarily know if I have a problem with the with the flag and the language part. Because I, I think it's beautiful that there are so many different nations from which people that are followers of Christ are are coming from. I think that's the beauty. I think that's what the whole thing with the Great Commission also was: go out to those other nations. It was to go preach the gospel. It was to go. Give them the good news. The thing. I'm. I to be honest, I don't think I would because ultimately, well, I would. Well, actually, I would have a problem with that. But I'd also have That's a problem. That's a sign of being conquered. But but I would also. But here's the thing. I would also have a problem if you took pride in your nationalism as an American because ultimately your pride is not to be in. What we're doing here, it's supposed to be in the eternal. It's supposed to be in the fact that we serve a holy and mighty God and our identity is only and purely in Christ. So, that is the only thing that matters. So political chair coming out, coming at you real quick. I'll, I'll give you a mild pushback. Whenever you have one flag flying over the other, there is a symbolism there of conquering. Um, and that starts to encroach on that nation's sovereignty. I do not... When I go to Mexico, I do not fly an American flag, especially not over theirs. When I move, if I move to a new nation, if I move to South Korea, 
for example, I'm not going to fly an American flag, especially over a South Korean flag. Oh, it, neither it, would I. So, I would fly so, the flag of Christ. It, so I don't have a problem with that, but you, you, you understand what I'm saying. When one flag, when one nation's flag is over another, it's a sign of submission. Oh, I, I, my thing is not about it's. It doesn't. That, it doesn't. That's ma- the reason yeah. for it. Uh, my thing is it. It doesn't matter. Well, it does matter to a degree, I guess, in that sense. But to me, all that stuff is pointless at the end of the day, because if we're not identifying in Christ and we're identifying in anything else except Christ, what are we doing? Well, there, the, 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 there is a Christian uh, apologetic and reason for nations, and that's because each nation is supposed to take care of their, their people and provide for their individuals. So it does fall within the Christian framework. I, I agree that nationalism in of itself, if it takes priority over, over Christ, then that's a sin. That's an idol, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's what you're getting yeah, that's at. What, that's more what I'm not I talking about necessarily. I did, I'm not talking about necessarily like, oh, I think, it's, yeah, we're American. We live in a great country. We live in a country that has rights and where we can freely exercise our worship. But if we think that that is more important than God, Oh, then we've committed a, a grave sin. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely, you know, we've been talking about Islam and and fighting against that theology, but I think that nationalism and pride in America can very easily become similar to the threat of Islam. I, I have a lot of sympathy for what Josh is saying. I think America, especially, we are very quick to fall into the trap of putting our national pride above you our cannot. Christianity. And, and, and I think that that is kind of the problem we're seeing with, with them. Hmm. With Islam, I think it's just they're just trying to come in with the false gospel. Yeah, no, Islam is, is, is straight up front with it, for sure. If, if you lose the reason why America is great, because she was founded on Christian principles. Yeah. She was founded exactly. to be a nation where people could freely worship Yahweh yeah. uh, the, the, and Christ. Mm-hmm. And then you've created an idol, a hollow one. I think, John Arthur, one thing mm-hmm. that we ought to consider for the near future is doing a podcast on nationalism. Absolutely. I, I, I agree. And uh, we, we're... We, Coming soon to 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 this to this channel to this uh, podcast. I I agree that would be an excellent one. I want to move over because we have not gotten to uh, Josh yet. He he passed to go around, but I, I want to ask you a couple questions. Um, the economic perspective, when you look at the birth rates that are so low in European countries and in America and in the West, you look at the birth rates in these Islamic nations, and you see that we can't keep up, and what we're effectively doing is replacing, for economic reasons, we're replacing, you know, they're okay with them, with, with the Islamic uh, uh, movement sweeping over Europe, because we, we need that replacement of workforce, because we basically have said we don't want to have kids anymore. So, a couple things there. One, the economics of multi- multiculturalism, is that sustainable? And why do you think that that may or may not be? And what's a good Christian argument when, when someone's talking about this for 
economic sustainability, having having kids versus importing people. And then another question I, I want to field to you is the the value system that we see coming in. We see one set of value systems economically coming into Europe, and now we see ghettos where we see once beautifully pristine streets being, you know, we're, we're having issues with sanitation. So what's the Christian argument for all the above? So for Christian economics, I think it's important to note, this is why I had some scripture pulled. Our purpose in doing business and our purpose in Christian economics is not to make more money. Do business that glorifies God, and 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 if making money comes with that, that's awesome. But if it ha but if it goes against glorifying God and honoring God, then it is not something that we should partake in. So going to the topic of multiculturalism and what does that mean in relation to business? I think it's there's no problem offering your business to everyone, but if that requires you to compromise on the gospel message that requires you to become looking more like the world, it is not worth it. That is a path that leads completely down. It just spirals and spirals and spirals downhill. And I want to read this passage out of James 5. <laughs> Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as if it were fire. Now, he's not necessarily saying that money's bad here. What he's trying to get at in this passage is that, oh, you guys take value in owning all that money? Oh, you guys love that money? Oh, uh, here, let me, let me show you what that reaps. Let me show you what you get exactly out of loving that money. And so... If you and, and this is something I've always thought about because well, I'll give an example of something in America that happened with me. So at Minute Maid Park, I remember Second Baptist Church Houston or somebody had it had a sponsorship with the Astros. Well, the Astros were doing Pride Month this past month, and I think I don't know if that that sign was still there for Second Baptist. I know for a fact it was there one year though when they were doing that. And I was like, are you guys, Second Baptist Church of Houston, are, are you guys okay with that? You guys know what you're getting into? And so this gets down to a problem. Are we compromising on the gospel for the sake of, for the sake of getting more business? And if we are, we shouldn't do that. And that's the problem with multiculturalism. And what we see in today's marketing is it's just for the purpose of trying to get, win business from all these groups. And it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong, it's it, we're going to say we're going to do anything because the dollar is what matters. So in, in the context of this of, of this one evangelist, uh, Tosh and, and, and wearing the, the uh, T-shirt in Great Britain, just going to set the table here in Great Britain, you see this massive lack of workforce and this loss of workforce. Um, and it's, they've had to replace their workforce, part, partly because of a cultural issue where you see the death of, of the family, a, a, of the nuclear family in Great Britain. 
So they've brought in these people who are of a different culture. And the nation's job, uh, you know, and, and I'm fine with nationalism to a point. Like, I'm, I'm, I really am to, to a point as long as it's in check with, with morality. But the point of Great Britain existing is to protect the people within its borders. When they bring in these people, and, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, when they bring in these folks for the purpose of labor, they allow them that part of it is, is the quote unquote refugee crisis. But the reason all these countries are really open to it is because of Europe has not been making babies. That, 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 if they had been, they would be saying, look, we're good, we're fine, we're full. What is the Christian, or how should the Christian respond when a, gov when, when a government puts the needs of safety over their GDP? Or excuse me, they, they, they put their, their GDP over the needs of the people for safety, for, for, for an economic reason. Well, you get what happened, and yeah, you get exactly what you, you get exactly what you said, and you get, you get stabbings you get, and car bombings. You get people who who don't feel safe. They don't feel like they're going to be protected. They feel that there's not enough preemptive measures <coughs> being taken to help out with the matter. Because that whole entire article was not, or and what that lady was saying, it was not necessarily that what happened was bad, which it was horrible, but. It was the fact that they didn't even do anything about the fact of offering this woman safety, which the mind you, the police wouldn't even render aid. Huh? The police wouldn't even render aid or or pursue the guy. Yeah, the police wouldn't even render aid or necessarily even pursue the guy, and so it's dangerous. It's dangerous because, in I think that it is just that article is just a summation of answering your question. Is you get these get situations where stuff like that happens. You know what's really interesting is if and you want to take a a look at a microcosm of the issue of birth rates, look no further than China. I mean, it is, it is unreal what's happened over there. They're having to import the, the, the women effectively as sex slaves. Yes. And they're, they're, they're losing, because they have a surplus of 50 million men. Yeah. And they know, they, they, I think they understand this issue. I think I really do, because you're not going to <clears throat> achieve global dominance with that kind of a birth rate, and they know that. Isn't it? Isn't it kind of ironic in a in a sick, morbid sort of way? It is that that by pursuing the one-child policy for economic reasons, in the long run, they've crippled, or they're going to cripple themselves yes. if they don't pull out of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, let me just say to our, our Christian friends out there, if we want to so-called dominate the world of Christianity, go out and be fruitful and multiply and teach your children and raise them. Within the confines of marriage. Within, right. within the confines of <laughs> marriage, yes. Amen. Biblically, be fruitful and multiply with your wife, your one wife. Yeah, right, one husband, on toes, one wife. One husband, one wife. Lots of babies. Teach them to love Jesus. Tell them to do the same thing. Exactly. And, that's, and that is part of how you win the culture war is by A, discipling other yeah. people, but B, creating more disciplers. Notice I didn't say disciples. Disciplers. 
multiplying and replicating in a way that's how you win the culture war that's how you win the political war and the theological uh uh expression that's how you uh, that's how you express to the culture of theology and and you change the nation's philosophy you have to be fruitful that doesn't just mean having babies it means having babies but it also means going out talking to friends talking to family and having an answer for when they ask you why you have to have an answer you have to be prepared yeah and i i guess i would just say as my little little wrap up on that note wrapping back up with the idea of you know is mockery an effective evangelistic tool if your evangelism is bearing fruit continue whether or not it's something that I would do, if, if Hatun Tosh and David Wood are seeing people come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, more power to you. Do what you see is working for the kingdom of God. Like I said before, the surgeon has bone saws and the surgeon has scalpels. I prefer to be a scalpel personally. <laughs> I prefer to be much more, much more refined and slow, but... Sometimes shock shock value can can change. Moving over to the chair of economics, what's your wrap up for today? Do not compromise on the message of the Bible. Do not compromise on the message that Christ gave out. But also remember that when we're approaching people, the purpose of calling out people who are teaching bad theology is to call out the bad theology and to call out the bad teaching it is to correct bad teaching. And so this all comes from, uh, from, from the teaching that's being displayed and whether or not we're thinking correctly. Are we thinking the way God thinks? Are we, are we, are we moving the way that God moves? That's all. And then moving over to the chair of theology. And let me just add on what he was saying, too, is that um, Christians never lose ground when they're standing on kingdom authority. You lose ground when you compromise. And if we feel that as Christians we've lost ground, it's because we have compromised. And we need to get back to kingdom mindset. Oof, that is powerful. Moving over to the chair of culture. We need to be educated on what we believe, why we believe it. To believe it simply for the sake that somebody else said it, that is not belief. That's, that's allowing yourself to be brainwashed. And no matter if you believe in the, the mockery uh, avenue or not, it does not matter if you are not educated and understand clearly what you believe and why you believe it. We must be ready to defend our faith. And that will have the biggest impact on culture no matter what. Amen. And Chair of uh, uh, Philosophy, you gave yours. Do you have anything else to give? Um, I would just say on uh, on what Charlie said, you know, I, I don't have the specific verse in mind. I think it's multiple places, but it's it's clearly stated in the New Testament when Paul is talking, when when the apostles are talking to these churches that they're converting, that their faith is not grounded in, in nothing. Their faith is not grounded in just blindly following. They have a surety based on the word of God and the knowledge that this these words are true in in the full sense of the word, truth. Amen. And then from the chair of politics, I'll just wrap up with this. 
our politics are to further the gospel of Christ. We have our own jihad, except it's not one to kill. It's one to rescue those who are bondage, even those who would kill us in the chains of their sin. It is our goal and objective, whether we're using our money, we're using our minds, we're using our culture, our theology, whatever the tool is, whether it's even if it's mockery, especially if it's a satire, if it's to take down someone who is actively hurting others, they need a millstone around their neck. Satire can be that. Use it wisely, use it carefully, and most importantly, remember why you're doing what you do. With that said, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, as always, if you uh, have a uh, an opinion or an argument that you wish to put down there in the comment section below, go ahead and do that. Tell us from which chair you're arguing. Like, comment, share, subscribe. Guys, what you do with those uh, five-star reviews and those reviews, those ratings, those comments, everything helps this, this podcast grow. Thank you so much. We are honored by the growth that we've had, and we look forward to your listenership in the future. Uh, with that said, if you didn't like what we said, go ahead and leave a um, nasty remark down there about what we did wrong and uh, hit that dislike button twice. Uh, with that said, thank you all so much for joining us. Much love. God bless. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.